Hello, I'm Dale Gentry, and this is the Disciple Science Podcast. Today, we're going to speak with Greg Kutsona, who teaches in the Department of Comparative Religion and Humanities at California State University at Chico. Greg directs Science for the Church, a project designed to bring the resources of science to strengthen congregational life. From 2016 to early 2019, he directed the Science and Theology for Emerging Adult Ministry at Fuller Theological Seminary. Greg served as a pastor for 18 years, and he's published on numerous topics, recently focusing on the intersection of science and faith. He's authored the book Mere Science and Christian Faith, Bridging the Divide with Emerging Adults, which was published in 2018 by InterVarsity Press, and his book Negotiating Science and Religion in America, Past, Present, and Future, will be published by Routledge Press next month. Greg also serves as an, as an advisor to BioLogos, Dozier Program, which is the Dialogue on Science, Ethics, and Religion from the American Academy for the Advancement of Science, Sinai and Synapses, and the Center for Theology and the Natural Sciences. Greg, welcome to the Disciple Science Podcast. I'm glad to be part of it. Thanks for inviting me. Sure. So for the past few weeks, we've been talking about some of the tension between science and faith, primarily from a historical perspective. And today we're really fortunate to have you on to address this from a more modern angle. Now, uh, from your uh, background, it appears that you weren't always interested in this topic. You've studied and, and taught on a number of different issues. What got you interested in the intersection of science and faith? It's true that I wasn't always interested in this topic, um, for sure, Dale. And part of it was I wasn't always interested in the gospel. So. It might take me a minute or two, but I can tell you how I got to be interested in both the gospel and and in science and faith. Yeah, that'd be right. great. Um, yeah, so this is kind of this is sort of a punchline. Uh, I grew up in a secular uh, household. I went to UC Berkeley, and I mm-hmm. became a Christian. Ah. <laughs> that, should, that should sound a little odd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so. Um, I, I grew up in what we would now call an, in a household of nuns, no, uh, no religious affiliation. Sure. And uh, that was in the Bay Area in what's, I think, most often uh, in terms of surveys seen as the least religious environment in our country. So, mm-hmm. you know, around, it's what's now Silicon Valley and yeah. uh, on. Uh, it wasn't quite Silicon Valley when I was growing up there. Uh, yeah. Although, <laughs> Just the start, right? Yeah. Just the start, yeah. Wozniak and Jobs created the uh, personal computer, you know, like five miles from my house. But anyway, it was, so wow. it was kind of beginning when I was wow. in high school and stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, I went to Berkeley and encountered the gospel. And in my second quarter, I became a Christian, uh, really being, more than anything else, just bowled over by the person of Jesus yeah. and the message of Jesus. So um, I, you know, I grew up with a, an engineer father, and uh, he was always interested in what would work. What was the science behind, let's say, whether glasses, you know, like glasses you drink out of would be stable or unstable. And I remember he particularly didn't like the old Coke glasses that were thicker at the top or wider at the top because that would be unstable. <laughs> yeah, bad design, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It had a high center of gravity. Right. So um, I, I, I learned science through him. He was a person who, um, uh, from an engineering perspective, but in applied science, you might say, really you know, tried to work to think out things rationally and uh, in terms of things that could be tested. So I didn't have a negative view of science. I, um, I like science, although I've always been drawn more to the humanities. Yep. And um, 
And yet when I first became a Christian at Berkeley, there were many atheist professors and students who maybe were former, formerly part of the church. I can think of a couple particularly that come to mind hmm. who were no longer Christians um, and other kinds of people uh, who were testing my faith and, and using science as a key voice for why Christianity mm. uh, was outdated. Uh, let me add to that. I was also living in a fraternity when I became a Christian. So not only were there, ethic, were there intellectual <laughs> challenges, but there were some ethical ones as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, it was really, you know, so it's this dual thing. It's like I, um, I was very excited about my faith. Um, C.S. Lewis was incredibly important uh, yeah. in becoming a Christian and continues to be important to me. And, um, and so he had this tremendous sense that the gospel was robust and could engage contemporary issues. Um, so that side, I was, I was positive about science, but then I also heard the atheists uh, and, you know, naturalists saying, oh, man, Christianity is outmoded. Science and technology have made it so. How can you still believe? And so part of it also was the defensive side. Like, I got to figure out how to do this. You know, I'm, yeah, right. I'm like kind of gangly and adolescent in my faith, but these people are, are top notch and uh, I need to figure it out. Hmm. So, and, and so you, you uh, went in to be a pastor. Is that right? First? Yes. Yeah. So because I became a Christian as an 18 year old, uh, and although I felt a calling to become, uh, to, you know, look into uh, being, being a church leader, as it were, um, it took me, uh, let's see, it took me, uh, I think it's 10 years before I was ordained. Um, wow. And, um, and in that process, also in my theological training, I began to get more engaged in the, um, in the precision that science offers us. Um, and then when I finally did my, not finally, but I eventually did a PhD, uh, I, I went to the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley and their Center for Theology and the Natural Sciences was really is really uh, amazing, and that's where I particularly mm. learned this mm. engagement of science and faith. So, mm. um, so that would probably be the more the more formal aspect of uh, this engagement for me. Yep. It comes from the theological side, not from the scientific side. Yeah, um, and try to see in what ways science can be, you know, uh, not only a challenge, which it is sometimes, but but also mainly a contributor to how we understand scripture how we understand Jesus, how we understand uh, our relationship with God. Yep. So I, it was after my PhD in 1996 that I first started serving as a pastor, a Presbyterian pastor in uh, Midtown Manhattan. Wow. Oh, wow. What a cool story. Yeah, it was really fun. I really, really yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah. So you've got a really unique perspective uh, with some time in, in ministry and in churches and some time in, in universities and as a scholar. And uh, in, in your writing, you, you do a great job of talking about how uh, society and the scholarly world see the intersection between science and faith differently. Can you explain to us why that is? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Um, and I think, Dale, you might, if I'm understanding the, uh, the, in, the inference from the book, it's that uh, in the popular imagination, uh, most people think that science and religion are in conflict. Yeah, right. There's a conflict out there, as it were. Um, as a, the statistics are somewhere around 70% of Americans uh, say, well, one particular survey rep is replicated in other surveys. It, it uh, was was done um, uh, in 2013, I believe, and mm. by Kyle Longest and Christian Smith. 
and they asked people to finish a, a statement which said, the teachings of science and religion ultimately conflict. Mm -hmm. uh, agree, disagree, strongly agree, strongly disagree. And in the agree or strongly agree category, 70%, so seven out of 10 people said, they ultimately conflict. So that's mm. that's the perception that's so much out there is, you know, you can't bring these two together. And um, and so when I started uh, looking at this, especially in this last book I was, I've been working on, uh, Negotiating Science and Religion in America, I uh, recognized that uh, this particular idea was promoted, especially in the late 19th century, by um, William Draper and uh, Andrew Dixon White mm -hmm. in, in two very prominent books, and that um, you know it's not really sustainable historically. I'm not saying there haven't been conflicts, but most sure. historians, yep. like Lawrence Principe at Johns Hopkins, as one of the examples, but many others, would point out that you know it was a kind of polemic that mm -hmm. was presented, um, but that has had a lot. So it hasn't had much traction in terms of historians and uh, philosophers of science, but it has an incredible amount of traction in terms of our popular culture. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I may add something to that. Um, yeah. You know, mine, I, uh, I've done a, I did a survey a few years back of how emerging adults, those eight, those people who are 18 to 30, how they come to their ideas about religion and science and where they'd look for answers. And, so I think in the past, a lot of people, the past meaning, let's say 40, 50 years ago, a lot of people would try to find answers about religion, going to their pastor, their priest, their rabbi, et cetera. Hmm. Most people today, that I, according to the research that I've done, especially if they're not in the church, but even in the church, would go to the internet for hmm. finding yeah. answers. And as you know, the internet rewards people who are uh, kind of <laughs> brash and... Yeah. You know, not necessarily well informed, and yep. in some ways, the less informed you are, the, the more you can be brash. And so, if you've gotten your information from the internet, you hear, you know, people who are kind of loudmouths and uh, who like to make quips about somebody else, uh, often you know, mean ones. And so, that's another, I think, way that more recently people are getting this conflict or warfare idea in their minds. Yeah. So you're saying click, clickbait is to blame for our, our modern uh, <laughs> failure to understand the, the compatibility. I think that's right. Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's and really interesting. So yeah, your book, you know, focusing on, on young adults, it, it did seem that, that they, they have a, a different perception then of the intersection of science and faith from, from I guess, older adults. Uh, tell us what you found from that uh, work. Yeah, I mean, it, it, this, uh, I continued doing some research in some of these really top sociologists like Elaine Howard Eklund um, and Christopher mm -hmm. Scheidel, mm -hmm. she also worked um, in just trying to go further and, and deep, deeper into these, the, the mindset of 18 to 30 year olds. Um, and it seems like there's a shift that's occurring. I mean, one thing, I, let me say one thing that actually seems to be replicated throughout uh, different age demographics is that if even if most people think there's a conflict, you might say out there between religion and science, hmm. uh, the same amount of people don't feel there's a conflict with their own religious spiritual uh, commitments. So um, it's really f interesting. The conflict for many people seems to be out there, but not in here. If if you if that yeah yeah. 
Um, I think with emerging adults, uh, and by emerging adults, it's this designation that's been developed um, since about the year 2000 that Jeffrey Arnett presented it, and it's the idea of adulthood is taking longer to to uh, emerge for people. Yeah, right. Primarily because people are marrying later and having children later um, mm-hmm. than in the past. So um, with the emerging adult demographic, my experience is that there's less conflict. There's a really uh, less conflict than the general population. There's a kind of a fatigue with the culture wars. There's an interest for people uh, to see people who are leaders in science and religion learn how to get along, if not, if, if not even reconcile their ideas in some ways. And um, I think overall, there's, a, there's some of the topics of the past have become less important. Hmm. to emerging adults than they were maybe when I was doing my studies um, in the late 80s and early 90s. Yep. Yeah, I was really taken by that. So I'm I'm a biologist uh, and um, teach at a Christian university. And so we do deal with the origins debate a lot. Um, And and I was surprised to hear uh, in your book that it seems like emerging adults are, are less interested in that than they are in, in other topics. Why, why is that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, you, I know you sent me this uh, question beforehand, and I pondered it a little bit to make sure I, I'm answering it in a way that's thoughtful, to be honest. Yeah. Um, because some of it is, is, is the experience I've had in these, and I guess it's the last five years I've done, um, you know, these, large pro- these large-ish projects of bringing science and faith to emerging adults. And part of it's anecdotal, as I'm trying to say. Yep. So it's partly just an experience that I talk with, say, university Christian fellowship leaders or campus pastors, or that sort of thing, mm-hmm. uh, that, that kind of person. The issue of origins is not as big. It doesn't loom as large as it might have, um, again, you know, back in, the, let's just say, the 80s. Uh, yep. And let me just say, I have older friends who are older who say, in the 70s, evangelical church wasn't really into the origins debate as strong <laughs> as they were <laughs> later, yeah. you know, um, interesting. which is really interesting. And I, yeah. that one I haven't sorted out. I haven't done my, you know, the research on, but it's just yeah. an interesting statement. Um, I mean, partly I think Dale, it's that we, we are seeing some new t- topics emerge. Um, yeah, right. So I think technology like AI, artificial intelligence, transhumanism, whether devices will, expand our human capabilities. I mean, even like a cell phone or a smartphone, whatever. Um, Questions of climate change, questions of sexuality and sexual identity, uh, and and how these all relate to science um, are taking more prominence. And so I'm I'm not seeing as much about the origins debate. That doesn't mean to say there isn't still a very (laughs) rigorous debate about that. But um, my experience is that it's decreasing in terms of the the heat, yeah. as you might you might say. Yep. Um, maybe I could point to two surveys that I, I did think about. One was done by Elaine Howard Eklund at Rice, and I'll just make one more promo for her. She's really the best commentator and sociologist from the sociological social science perspective on science and religion. And um, she did some work on if you if you take it's an, I think her book it was a book that I, I was on a that I helped. A, a team that helped her on uh, like, you know, we, t- we read it and mm-hmm. engaged with her on it. And it's coming out, I think in a couple months, but anyway, she recognized that if you give people um, not just a kind of binary, you know, is the earth old, is it young or whatever, yeah. but give them nuance. And you yeah. say, you know, how committed are, t- are you to one of these positions? I'm, I'm speaking, I'm paraphrasing here. Yep. People don't really land on one position. Mm-hmm. They have a number of positions that they 
could entertain. And, um, and so most Christians will, they really want God to be involved. That's their biggest issue. So yeah. if it sounds like the young earth position makes God more involved or, or retains God's involvement, that works for them. But they're not necessarily committed in terms of what Elaine's found to any one age. And my own, again, anecdotal experience is many people will say, oh, yeah, I could see the days of Genesis 1 uh, being periods of time, which actually is a, lit- is a legitimate translation of the Hebrew word for day. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're okay with that, you know. Um, and then um, there has been also this recent work that I believe it was the Pew Research Center did where instead of asking just one question, they asked a number of questions about origins, and they found, in other words, it became a tree. You know what I mean? Like, you ask one question, you have a second question that follows it up and gave greater nuance to the origins debate, and uh, a strikingly lower percentage of people uh, were young earth creationists. If you asked them, you know, follow-up questions, essentially, instead of just, again, a binary opposition of, is the old yeah, earth, yeah. you know, made by God and old or young, or is it, you know, revolve over, over millions of years or whatever, billions of years. Um, so that those two surveys give some indication that things I think are shifting for yep. Americans. Hmm. Now, could it be, is there any, uh, I don't know if this would, if uh, Elaine has studied it. And speaking of which, I she was just here in Minnesota about a month ago and gave a talk at the University of Minnesota. It was fantastic. Oh, um, good. Yeah, she's a great person to, yeah, to yep. I, make a, I can make a I, plug I did, for any of your listeners like find one of her YouTube videos or something. It's yep. really worth hearing what she has to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a great speaker too. So and I, I mean, it makes me wonder if if we're just seeing any of the fruit of the last few decades of helping people to see this. And it seems like the issues that are hot now that you mentioned, you know, technology and, and whatnot, that we're moving beyond if science and faith can interact and it's more, it's more how and, and the ethics of it as opposed to just you know, do we have to keep these in, in separate compartments? Is there, do you think that's a, a fair assessment? Yeah, I think that's a great assessment, Dale. Yeah. And this book uh, that uh, John Evans just wrote, um, he's a University of California, Santa, uh, San Diego sociologist, where uh, he argues that really the issues are ethical more than yeah, right. conceptual, you know, or ep- epistemic, if you will. It's not about what we know, it's about what's going to change our lives. Can I give you one little pull out on that? Or oh, do you want to yeah, yeah, please do. Because um, to me, this is a, when I read Evans's book, it, it really changed my uh, thinking or it, clar- it clarified what maybe I had been feeling, but I didn't really know how to discuss. Right, yeah. Um, so like if you go back to the Scopes trial in 1925, uh, I, as I said, I've been doing, working on a lot of history as I was doing this book I just finished. And it was not, not really primarily about, you know, the Scopes trial was John Scopes was teaching, was brought forward as a person who was teaching evolution against the Tennessee uh, law mm. um, and the Butler Act in 1925 that made it illegal for public schools to teach evolution. Yeah. So that was the trial, had, you know, a huge publicity. William Jennings Bryant and it's Clarence Darrow, right? Yeah, um, went up against each other. And it was interesting, Brian, who was the, a liberal, pol- politically liberal, uh, theologically conservative Christian, resisted the book that was brought forward, um, which was Hunter's Civic Biology, because Hunter had very clear eugenicist passages, things that would say, you know, we breed animals uh, so that the stronger, 
you know, are the ones we want to continue their lineage and we should do the same thing with human be human beings. I mean, that mm -hmm. was in the, the book that mm -hmm. was be it was under uh, scrutiny by this law. And I, I'm not saying I agree with the law. I'm just saying uh, that that was what was concerning the ethics of evolution, which was leading to social Darwinism yeah, yep. um, and moving away from Christian compassion. And so when Brian went up against that, he was as more concerned probably about the ethics than about uh, like the, the epistemic, you know, knowledge of evolution, meaning yeah. it wasn't so much for him. He didn't want us to be derived from apes, you know, uh, evolved from apes, excuse me, but he wasn't so concerned about the age of the earth at all. He was an old earth creationist, yeah. but it, even more was about is evolution going to be used to support social Darwinism, which will get in the way of caring for the weak and the poor and uh. the marginalized. So in other words, ethics was, is, has been, has been huge and continues to be huge. Hmm, that's a really interesting insight because that's a, you know, I think people have a, a caricature of that Scopes trial of it just being pure science versus scripture and, and what, a, what a fascinating uh, vision of, of, you know, what, what's behind their impetus for, for bringing it to court. Yeah, yeah. And it, I, it, it kind of blew me away, actually, as I, because yeah. the good guys became the bad guys and, or whatever. They became much more gray, I, may, I guess, yep. you know. Yep. Um, and again, f uh, just if you don't mind for your listeners, I, I'm, I like to give uh, little ideas of places to go if you want to hear more. Um, there's a really fabulous PBS uh, special called Dichotomies in Dayton. Dayton was where the trial happened mm. by Lee Camp and his team, Dichotomies in Dayton. And they do some wonderful work on uncovering the uh, history around uh, – it's, it's actually shot in the courtroom where the Scopes trial occurred – um, they did some great work on uncovering the, the history around the Scopes trial. And then, of course, um, Edward Larson's book, Summer for the Gods, Summer for the Gods, I think it is, yeah, um, is just amazing. So some really good work has been done on that. But it, it kind of blows your categories uh, out of the water a little bit, <laughs> or my category. Yeah. yeah. Well, it seems like there's so much uh, truth to that in almost all of the you know, the famous stories of, of science versus faith, when you, when you dig into the, the great historians that are writing on this topic, they say it's, it's never nearly as simple as, as we make it out to be, you know, Galileo, the scientist and who was fighting against the Catholic Church until we find that Galileo was a, a powerful professing Catholic and, and uh, the, you know, the, the debate was probably less scripture versus versus science than it was, um, you know, personalities and Galileo's right. abrasiveness versus the the church that needed to maybe feel like they had to put him in his place a little bit. But Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you were saying you've done some work with the history of science, which I think is really helpful for people as they set you know, science and religion, uh, yeah. and where they helpful for us to understand where we set ourselves today, you know? Yeah, for sure. I, I think it, it has certainly enlightened me in how nuanced the intersection was. You know, when science first emerged, there really was very little conflict, and it wasn't until much later that, that things started to pop up. But yeah, that's yeah. a topic for another conversation. Well, if I could just, I'll just put in one little, little uh, footnote there. You know, almost nobody is going to say that uh, the Bible te today, almost no conservative Christian, no Bible believing Christian is going to say that the Bible teaches that the sun revolves around the earth. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but you know, there were people who were really concerned about whether scripture taught that or not. And so, mm -hmm. um, we can get caught into patterns that aren't even really biblical. Right. And that's, right. that's what troubles me is 
Are we preventing people from believing because we're prevent, presenting bad science along with our, uh, the way we talk about the gospel? Yeah. Well, maybe that's a good time to transition. I mean, um, how, how can we? I'm sure there are parents out there and, and teachers uh, that want to know how they can talk to their kids or their students or maybe even only think about it themselves. How, how can we better present um, both scripture and science so that we don't perpetuate this, this conflict? Um, I don't want to call it a myth, but, but I think of it as a myth. But how do we prevent that in the future? Yeah. Well, we need more people like you, Dale. <laughs> people understand the science well and uh, you know integrate it with with a robust faith. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, that's a really important thing. I actually also think it, that pastors and Christian leaders are really important. Um, I uh, read a, a great ar- uh, article, actually book, a short book by Jonathan Hill. I was a sociologist at Calvin College, and it said that what a pastor thinks is probably, you know, vastly more important than what a professor thinks in terms of helping people to engage faith and science. Boy, yeah. And it was right when I went, moved from being a pastor to a, a professor. So <laughs> like a, uh, but I think, you know, um, a lot of what we think and engage with is based on people we know we trust, that we trust. And um, so we need trusted voices to be out there. And that's yep. like, nobody's going to doubt. I'm just assuming we don't know each other personally, but from what I know about you, nobody's going to assume that you don't believe in the, you know, in the gospel yep. as you then talk about evolution or other biological element, uh, you know, insights that you have. Um, and that's really going to, I think that's really, really helpful. So uh, I think it's partly we need to encourage our leaders, um, our Christian leaders, uh, Christian leaders in science, Christian leaders in the church, uh, broadly speaking, the body of Christ is what I mean by that. Yeah. We need to encourage these leaders to uh, make a space for discussing issues of science and technology and how they inform our faith. Yep. Um, so yeah. I, think that's, I think that's really important. Uh, there was a stu- when Barna did the study uh, that came out as a, the book, You Lost Me, they found out that 52% of kids in uh, youth groups, so Christian kids in youth groups, will, 52% will go into a science-related profession not as a scientist per se but where science is important but only one percent of the youth groups that they surveyed talk about science and faith one time a year and so we're just not taking the time uh, as leaders uh, in youth groups or in the church to say this is an important topic and this is something we need to discuss alongside other important topics but certainly one that needs to be uh, you know connected with yep well, and it seems like you're involved in a bunch of that good work as well. Um, uh, tell us about your work with the, the Dozier program and the science and congregations and some of the different groups that are that are working to, you know, train, train uh, people in seminary and future pastors so that we can uh, better dialogue in the future. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about the great work that's being done. Um, you mentioned Dozer is really amazing organization through the AAAS, as you've mentioned, um, which is the largest scientific organization in the world. So Jennifer Wiseman, who's a leading, you know, astronomer, the head of the Hubble Space Telescope, guides that project along with her team and has done some wonderful work um, in connecting religion and science. It's it's a multi, because it's a, you know, uh, a, uh, 
it's not a, it's not only about Christianity, but uh, religion in general, but much of it does connect with us as Christians. Yeah, yeah. And Jennifer is a definitely a person of deep Christian faith. Yep. Um, Biologos has been great. You know, I think they do really good work, um, especially in the areas that you, you're a part of and yeah. biology and origins. Right. Um, and just about anything Francis Collins says, uh, you know, who started, um, Biologos is worth paying attention to. He's just so good. And yeah. then Deb Harzma, who's the president is, uh, an astronomer and, uh, you know, it's a powerful combination. Um, their, you know, their history of engaging with evolution and then, some of the other work that they're doing as well. Um, the work that we've done that I think has been, I think it's, it's been helpful. You know, I think it's it, back to things you said earlier. I think some of these organizations have pushed the needle in a positive direction where there's mm -hmm. a public perception that faith and science are not incompatible and actually can be quite compatible. Yep. Um, for us with uh, science and congregations, um, which by the way, as we speak is, we're, we're rebranding and working our mission so it will morph into science for the church. But uh, the idea between uh, behind science and congregations or science for the church is there are already scientists in congregations, so let's have them speak. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Isn't that true? So, you know, back to what I was saying about you, I'm assuming you're in a congregation in sure, yeah. whatever sort. Like, let's have you talk about your science and yep. what it means to you. Um, yep and why you see the glory of God in, in the works of nature and maybe even some of the struggles you have and some of the questions that uh, science brings or your, your, your form of science brings yeah. um, because it, it had a number of different effects. One is if, if this is worked out in a positive relationship, it being the, the discussion of science and faith, um, it's going to have just so much more impact. You know, our guard is let down. We're not defensive. We're not argumentative. Uh, it doesn't mean we'll always agree, but it means that we're going to be much more likely to learn, I think. Yeah. Um, and then I just think, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of great Christians in the sciences today, but we're becoming less uh, and have become less represented in the sciences than is the percent. Like, there are more Christians in the United States than there are Christians in, sci in the sciences. And mm. Um, I want to be part of a movement that sees science as a, I mean, this is just a funny word, but it comes to mind as a legitimate Christian vocation, right? I mean, yeah, it's right. Yep. Yep. It's strategic. It's part of what the gospel needs to do, how we need to move out with the gospel today. Yeah. And yeah, so, I, go I, ahead, I, right. Elaine Eklund's uh, book starts with that remarkable anecdote of, uh, you know, speaking with a woman uh, who was so glad that her child wasn't going to Cornell because she was worried that that they would be you know influenced by the secular scientists there and 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 that's what I'm trying to push back against. I think you and your work are doing the same that science is somehow going to distract us from our faith and we want to promote the opposite. I think it actually can can encourage a strength in Christian faith. We just need to reframe the intersection and so uh, yeah. I really really appreciate all the work that you've done in that direction. Well, we're kind of doing it from different sides, right? I mean, you're yeah. doing it from the science side, I'm doing it from the theological side, and I think yeah. they're both important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to need both to work together to, to get something done. Because, uh, you know, as you mentioned earlier, and we see this, uh, I have a, a colleague here at, at Northwestern who works in um, climate change education research, and, and he's found what won't surprise people, or won't surprise too many people, is that Christians are willing to 
ignore the conclusions of science if they come from a, um, a source that they just don't trust. Mm-hmm. Right? And they, so we need, uh, you know, what, uh, I can't remember the term they use it, but, you know, Catherine Hayhoe has talked about herself as a climate change evangelist, that she is out there being the Christian that you can trust who got the same worldview. And I still see it that way as well. And so um, to what degree pastors can say, I see a role for science and scientists can say, I see a role for a religion. It just seems like we'll make progress. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's key. I just think that's so important. Um, I mean, we don't think about, ideas and abstraction primarily we think yep. of them in relationships with people and so yep. uh like Catherine Hayo is amazing um and the one thing i would say dale uh, that uh is part of the strategy the long-term strategy is uh christians are under highly underrepresented in the elite institutions um yeah. in any hmm. kind of religious hmm. person but um you know like if you go to the the harvard the yales yep. etc um the Berkeleys. I'll put my my own modern. Yeah, there, there you go. Uh, <laughs> you should. Yeah, and it's like, uh, I mean, I'm not saying we ha- we need elite scientists. That's not my point. But we do need some elite scientists, and so yeah. yep. we have to create an environment, continue to create a, a more friendly environment for people to study science as as a Christian calling, yep. and uh, yep. and that's I think probably going to be one of our most important contributions. Uh, yep. It's if we can do that, I think that's really really helpful and. Again, not everybody has to be an elite organization, uh, institution. I'm not. I'm in a California State University, yep. so and I think the work yep. that we're uh, yeah, and I'm, I mean, yeah, I'm in a small school as well. Yeah, yeah. probably bigger than mine, but a different focus. But. Yeah, totally. So, but anyway, I just think we need a few of those people. We need a few more Francis Collins, Collinses, and yeah. Wiseman's. Yep, um, absolutely. Because they they do have a voice that uh, is important. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah, well, but this has just been really helpful, Greg. Thanks so much for your for your time. Do you wanna do you wanna leave off with any other uh, recommendations for resources and or also just tell us how how our listeners can get in touch with you or find your work and or and tell us a little more about perhaps the the book that you're about to publish. Yeah, yeah. Let me. I'll give you a few little uh, places to connect because I do think this is a an important uh, topic. Um, the first thing is if you do want to just email me, that's easy. Uh, Greg, G-R-E-G, at Kutsona, which is C-O-O-T-S-O-N-A mm. dot net. That's my email address. You're welcome to email me, um, and uh, I'd be happy to point you in any direction. The uh, Really, the ministry, the, the nonprofit that we have, uh, we meaning me and my colleague, Drew Rick Miller, um, is currently Science in Congregation. Um, so, uh, scienceincongregation.org. Yeah. If you look that up, you'll find, you'll find us. Um, we're going to, we are going to move into science for the church, but, uh, so probably by the time people hear this, you could e- use either of those. Okay. Um, the book that you're talking about mirror science and Christian faith is particularly designed for, um, this emerging adult, uh, demographic 18 mm-hmm. to 30 year olds. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it not only looks at why uh, it's important to talk about science uh, for uh, 18 to 30 year olds and the topics that I've found that people want to talk about, but also some of the strategies that you mentioned, uh, that you mm-hmm. asked about, you know, uh, as far as engaging endorsers, um, engaging people who are scientists and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the new book is Negotiating Science and Religion in America, and it's more of an academic book. Um, okay. That'll come out next month, uh, or I guess it'll be December 2019. Um, so 
uh, I of course would love people to know more about that as well. Mm. Um, the, uh, mere science book is a little bit more user friendly, I would say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's a so good, good, good book. Yeah. yeah. Well, good. And thanks for taking time to look it over. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think my, I just, here's what I want to make sure everybody hears. Uh, I, I am concerned and interested and engaged and motivated by the topic of faith by, let's put it this way, by mere Christianity and mainstream science. Mere Christianity and mainstream science need to come together mm -hmm. for the sake of the gospel. Yeah. And it's not primarily an intellectual interest, although I certainly have that, uh, it being the reconciliation of these two, but more of an interest of how can the church be strengthened strategically in a time where people are increasingly not going to go in the, into the walls, of the, in, inside the walls of the church. Yep. So that's why I think this is important. I think the topics are important. I think the science is brilliant. Uh, that is being, you know, uh, is emerging today. But at the end of the day, it's about the gospel and what's going to help the church to be faithful to the call of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. Well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that. I really appreciate your work. This has been a wonderful conversation. And uh, I think we'll let you go. But um, thanks for your time. Thanks, and thanks so much for letting me be part of your show. I appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for listening to the Disciple Science Podcast. Disciple Science is a crowdfunded nonprofit that's exploring the intersection of faith and science. We believe that scientific understandings can inspire a strengthened Christian faith. We're hard at work on more podcasts, animated videos, and study guides, but we can't make them without your support. We'll make everything available free of charge in hopes that they'll help people like you who want to understand how science fits together with a meaningful relationship with Jesus. You can support the young artists that are making those videos right now by contributing to Disciple Science via the donate button on the DiscipleScience.com website. You can also help us by rating and sharing our videos and podcasts and telling your friends about Disciple Science. As always, thanks for listening.